you guys flickers of fear time once again so i know what you guys are probably thinking um for somebody who claims that they don't care all that much for found footage movies uh i do kind of seem to talk about them maybe more than this uh seeming disinterest would warrant uh but one thing that i am very interested in is history the history of horror movies and kind of like you know the first horror movies to do certain things like horror movie innovation and things like that so actually i'd been wanting to see this movie for a very long time because i heard about it a while back um and you knew it was just going to be like a matter of time before i got around to discussing this one because in you know the context of horror history this is actually maybe i don't want to say it was an important film but it definitely was like an uh you know an innovative one so i kind of wanted to discuss it and you know see it and talk about it so i feel like most casual horror fans maybe would probably credit uh the blair witch project from 1999 for kicking off the whole found footage phenomenon. And I'm not going to argue with that. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't the first found footage movie, but it was the one that, you know, made like the largest cultural impact and spawned all of the found footage, you know, pretty much the whole genre that we see today. Um, horror nerds like myself uh, will nitpick that the 1980 Italian exploitation film Cannibal Holocaust uh, is technically the first movie that could probably like comfortably be found called found footage. But amidst all of this, uh, one little movie seems to have gotten a little bit lost in the shuffle. Now, it wasn't the first film of its kind, obviously, because Cannibal Holocaust uh, got there first, like, you know, a long time before, almost two decades, matter of fact. But it did predate the Blair Witch Project by almost a year. Now, although some, I think I've seen some like horror blogs say that it's like this movie was actually the inspiration for the Blair Witch Project, and that's actually not the case. Uh, the concept for the Blair Witch Project was actually kicking around like as early as 1993. I think both of these movies were kind of in production at about roughly the same time. It just happened that this one came out first. I believe it was like 10 months prior to the Blair Witch Project. Um, so 1998's The Last Broadcast was actually produced for the pretty much unheard of sum of $900. That is nine zero zero American dollars. And it went on to gross worldwide about $5 million, uh, despite being completely independently distributed. This movie was also rather notable for being the first... I don't want to call it a widely released film because it was had a very, very limited release, release, but it was kind of like the first somewhat sort of kind of widely released film that was shot entirely with consumer grade digital equipment. Uh, it was actually even edited on a desktop computer that was running Adobe Premiere Pro 4.2. And it was the first movie to screen at limited theaters, as I mentioned, completely digitally. Now, because this was 1998 and the vast majority of movie theaters were still exclusively set up for traditional film stock, uh, this movie where it played actually had to be shown via satellite streaming, but, you know, because it was digital. And, you know, nowadays, I think, you know, 99% of all theaters in the United States and probably the world uh, have converted to digital. But in 1998, that was not the case. So this was another way that this movie was like very much ahead of the curve, like very much on the cutting edge of technology at the time. Sadly, though, in spite of that, uh, the, the last broadcast was, I mean, it just had the misfortune 
excitement of coming out only, like I said, about 10 months before the cultural juggernaut that was the Blair Witch Project, which kind of, I don't know, just sort of like crushed it beneath the boot heel of like all the hype that uh, was that ensued in its wake. Now, the last broadcast was actually quite difficult to get hold of for quite a number of years, uh, because like I said, it was almost entirely forgotten. But thankfully, nowadays, it seems to have been kind of like rediscovered a little bit. Um, and as of this recording, which is January 2023, uh, both Shudder and Tubi have added it to their offerings, and you can also get, like, a pretty nice uh, Blu-ray that has, like, a lot of extra features on it, so it is, like, much easier to access nowadays. Now, much like The Blair Witch Project, uh, the last broadcast has kind of a mockumentary element to it, and also involves a group of people who become lost in the woods and have something horrible befall them. Unlike the Blair Witch Project, though, the last broadcast is kind of like a little bit multi-layered or at least dual layered. It has kind of like a, a layer like overlaying the found footage. And it also features a very intriguing murder mystery angle uh, that really kind of keeps you invested. At least it kept me invested. I was really, really into like the whole murder mystery aspect of it. I thought that was really cool and like a really good idea. So the movie is actually presented as a very low-budget documentary feature made by a filmmaker named David Lee, who's played by a guy named David Beard. Now, he's examining kind of a well-known murder case that occurred in 1995 in New Jersey. Now, I'm going to say that, like, his... (laughs) This guy, like, what he's, like, narrating the documentary that he's making, um, he has this very deep voice, and he's very, very intensely serious. You can tell that he's just, like, trying to give this some gravitas. And him doing that, like, really lends this a lot of authenticity because it comes across very much like one of those, you know, overly somber, kind of like those faux weighty TV documentaries about crime or paranormal stuff that sort of, like, littered the media landscape in the 1970s and 1980s. It was almost kind of like, it sounded a little bit like In Search Of or, like, one of those kind of cheesy documentaries from, like, the early 80s or, like, the late 70s. But just his narration really gave me that vibe, which really kind of, like, lent it some verisimilitude. So the incident that he's making this documentary about concerned two guys whose names were Stephen Johnny Avcast and Locus Wheeler. And they're actually played, those two guys are played by the filmmakers themselves who made this film, uh, Stefan Avalos and Lance Weiler, or Wheeler. I'm not really sure how you pronounce his last name. So they, these two guys hosted a somewhat well-known kind of cable access show uh, called Fact or Fiction, which focused on paranormal subject. It was kind of like one, it's like a call-in type of show. Now, the show uh, in the 90s was initially kind of a cult success, but it had started to wane in popularity somewhat. And so the guys had this idea to kind of shake things up a little bit by doing a live simulcast like out in the field that would center around kind of like the search for a local legend. Now, I'm going to say, in another way that this movie is kind of ahead of its time, the idea of live streaming from a location is, of course, you know, ubiquitous nowadays. Every fucker does that. But this was, you know, the movie was made in 1998, and they're talking about a thing that happened in 1995. 
So this would have been quite an undertaking for them. I mean, the internet was still relatively in its infancy and the concept of streaming a show simultaneously, like over the internet and cable television, like at the same time was, I kind of feel like pretty much unheard of, uh, especially for something like a piddling little cable access show. So the fact that they even put that concept like in the movie is itself like way ahead of its time. So an anonymous caller to the show suggests that the guy go out to the Pine Barrens, which is a real place, to look for the Jersey Devil, uh, which is a mythical cryptid um, whose legend, actually, it's a real life, it's not a real life monster, obviously, but the legend is real. Uh, And I believe it stretches back to like the 17th century or something like that. So the two hosts, Johnny and Locus, they agree that this would be a great idea. Like it's right there, you know what I mean? So they decide because this is gonna be like a big deal and they're live streaming and that really hasn't been done before. So they decide they're gonna recruit a couple of extra hands to kind of like help them out, not only with the technical aspects of what they're doing, but also the metaphysical aspects of the investigation and its uh, subsequent broadcast. So the two men that they get to do this are named Rain Clacken, who's played by an actor named Rain Clabbers. And uh, he's a sound guy whose expertise is kind of like recording supernatural phenomena, I guess. So like EVPs or something. And a guy named uh, Jim Seward, spelled S-U-E-R-D, who's played by an actor named James Seward, spelled S-E-W-A-R-D. So you know what I mean? They're all kind of using variations of their real names. This guy is a little bit of a weirdo. He's like a self-proclaimed psychic. And he insists that he can kind of advise them about like the best area to search for the Jersey Devil in this massive, you know, woods where they're going. So through footage shot by the gang, by shot by these guys, and later interviews with friends and associates of all of those principal characters, David, the guy who's making this mockumentary that you're watching, uh, kind of unfolds the narrative for us, like talking about this murder case. Now, as I mentioned, this is a murder case. It's a murder mystery. And it's presented as such, like very much like pretty much from the opening minutes, like where the way that the movie is presented is that I'm making a documentary about a case that you guys all know about, but I'm showing it like, you know what I mean? Even though it's obviously not a real murder case. The audience already knows like from the beginning of the movie that this excursion into the Pine Barrens that these guys took went horribly, horribly wrong. And that only Jim Seward returned from the woods. Locus and Rain were found viciously murdered and like mutilated. Um, and Johnny was never found at all, but they did find, find like a whole bunch of his blood at the scene that suggested that he was probably killed too, because they're like, there's no way that he could have lived like losing that much blood. Now, not long after Jim comes out the forest, he's actually charged with murdering the other three guys and clips from the footage that the men shot on their trip are kind of like used at his trial, like to make him appear kind of like dangerously unstable and weird and kind of violent. So the mockumentary that we're watching then made by David, the filmmaker, is ostensibly examining the possibility that Jim Seward was innocent of these murders and that something else happened out there in the woods. Like were the guys in fact slain by the Jersey devil itself? Like they do kind of like lean toward that as well. Like maybe it was a monster or was maybe something entirely different going on. So the solution to this mystery starts to become clearer 
as a data retrieval expert named Shelley Monarch, who's played by Michelle Pulaski, attempts to reconstruct some kind of tangled up videotape that David got in a box from some anonymous source and that may actually like reveal who the killer is because this is supposedly like some lost footage. So David has hired this expert to kind of like reconstruct and see if they can put together like what it is on this film so they can solve the mystery. Now I'm not going to spoil the ending. Um, I know that this movie is, you know, 25 years old, but I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. I will note, however, that the way that the mystery is resolved seems to be a big sticking point with people who didn't particularly like the movie. I have to say, I myself personally, I didn't mind it. Although I will say that if you think about, if you go back and think about the logistics of the thing and all of this other kind of stuff, like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But on the other hand, uh, the solution to the mystery actually gives the last broadcast this very weirdly like prescient veneer of meta-ness, you know what I mean? That it's almost kind of like commenting on ways in which the truth is always very, very slippery and is prone to interpretation and possibly manipulation by people with various agendas. So I'm just going to say conceptually, like watching the movie, I actually kind of had a hard time believing that this was made 25 years ago. I mean, aside from, I mean, obviously it was made 25 years ago because of like the very primitive technology and like the way that it looks, but the way, like in regards to its messaging about you know, like the ambiguity of reality as filtered through media, I kind of feel like it was, again, like way ahead of its time. And I feel like this is something that we're still wrestling with nowadays, like to an even more pronounced degree. But the fact that they got so, I'm not saying like the movie's like super deep or anything like that, but it's just like interesting from a conceptual standpoint that they went that far into it, like that far, like that far back in time, you know what I mean? That they were thinking along these same lines that people are still essentially like talking about in the same way nowadays. Now, I don't know if I'd say that this was a better film than The Blair Witch Project. Uh, it is certainly a more ambitious one. Uh, in some aspects, I enjoyed it more than The Blair Witch Project, like in various, uh, for various reasons. And it also impressed me with like how forward looking it was, you know what I mean? Like how, like the, um, you know, the concepts that it was dealing with. I was also, I gotta say, like really floored by how much the filmmakers accomplished for less than a thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, the movie looks cheap and very amateurish, but if anything, that just kind of like lends it some credibility. Like looking at it, you could actually believe that this was some, something that somebody made back in the 1990s, like about a real case, like with the technology available to them. So it just gives it that much. And I think even watching it nowadays, like it gives it even more verisimilitude because, you know, nowadays people are trying to fake you know, like shit that was made back in the 90s. This actually was made back in the 90s. Um, you know what I mean? But I don't know. It, it just made it seem like a lot more realistic to me, even though it looks like crap. But I mean, and I'm not saying that like in a disparaging way. It's, it looks like crap because shit back then looked like crap. You know what I mean? That's just how it looked. Um, the acting performances also were all very naturalistic and very convincing. Um, you know, and just like they did with the Blair Witch Project, basically all the actors, well, like I said, two of the main actors were the filmmakers themselves, so they knew what they wanted to do. Um, but the rest of the people were just given character outlines and just told to improvise. Like I said, that's what they did in the Blair Witch Project as well. That's the way that you're going to get 
more more of like a naturalistic performance uh and like i said i was also really into the murder mystery aspect of it which really kind of kept me interested through the whole uh movie's runtime it's not a terribly long movie it's only about 85 minutes now i will admit that I did guess what the twist was going to be a little bit before it was revealed, but it didn't really bother me, uh, you know, to any great degree. Uh, your mileage may vary on that, though, because I have seen a lot of people complain that they thought that the ending ruined the movie. So I don't know how you're going to feel about that, but if you've seen it, like, let me know what you thought about the ending. You know what I mean? So, I mean, if you're at all into found footage and want to see a very early entry into the subgenre that was for a time almost entirely forgotten, you know, just in the long shadow of the Blair Witch Project, uh, then by all means, check it out. Like I said, it's on Shudder. I believe it's also on Tubi for free. Um, it's legitimately like a big part of horror history. And, you know, although it's a flawed film, uh, it's definitely worth seeing. And I actually ended up digging it uh, quite a bit. So if you've seen it or if you've even heard of it or anything like that, let me know down in the comments. And that will do it for this Flickers of Fear. I'll see you guys again on the next one. Bye.